0: Welcome everybody to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is a show that is dedicated to telling the story of coastal advocacy. And by shining a light on people that are positive influences and taking care of the planet, I hope to infuse some hope and inspiration into a news cycle that can at times be oversaturated with stressful or negative or overwhelming narratives. And I am absolutely delighted to introduce you to my guest today, because she is the total embodiment of what it means to lead by example. And her dedication to making strides in the conservation world is evident through her work ethic and pursuit to connect people to each other, to the planet, and to inspire a sense of wonder and creativity, all in the name of empowering people to realize what they're capable of and the good that we can all do. And what I admire most about her is that she does all of this while being kind and supportive of those around her and by fostering an inclusive atmosphere for anyone interested in conservation to be curious and to learn. So all of this to say is that um, she's a total badass, and I'm grateful for this opportunity to spend some time together and share her story with all of you. But before I do, um, and before you get to meet her, we will take a brief break to hear a message from our sponsors.
1: We'd like to thank our sponsor, Dune Doctors, a excellent, outstanding hub vendor, Dune Restoration Company out of Pensacola, Florida led by the brilliant Frederic Bereset's superb work from permitting, design through construction on shoreline projects. If you're in the business of managing property on the Gulf of Mexico or up the Atlantic seaboard, Dune Doctors is a great company to reach out to. Find Frederic and her team at DuneDoctors.com. DuneDoctors.com. TI Coastal Services in Wilmington, North Carolina, one of the great boutique-focused engineering companies that has very successfully implemented shoreline strategies up and down the eastern seaboard, smart, cost-conscious, great company, TI Coastal Services. You can find them at ticoastal.com. Okay,
0: so today I am joined by the co-founder of Big Blue and You, Co creator of Sea Youth Rise Up, that's S E A for Sea Youth Rise Up. And she's a science communicator, an ocean advocate, and TV personality, which is just to name a few things from her ever growing list of leadership roles. So, Danny Washington, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jenna. What's up? How are you? I'm good. Um, kind of wishing I was out in LA where you are. Um, we are in the depths of winter up here in Boston, but, you know, there's something to be said about this, this nice, tranquil time to, uh, recover and be a little bit more serene and peaceful.
2: Absolutely. I mean, you know, the sunshine, yeah, it never gets old out here on the West coast, but there's definitely something special about the snow and winter. I haven't fully experienced all that. I've had like little tastes of it through the years, but, um, I have a lot of respect for people like you who can survive a winter in Boston or in the Northeast. <laughs> yeah,
0: very thick skinned. And I, I feel like I always say if uh, people that feel like those of us from Boston in the Northeast are uh, not the nicest, probably came up here during the winter and met us when, you know, we, we didn't really have time to stop on the sidewalks and Uh, be friendly because we're just trying to stay warm.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you have to be really deliberate. I I just spent a month in New York uh, in November and it it was pretty cold. It got down in the 20s and like I just see that in in how people move on the streets. You just got to get from A to B and stay as warm as possible. So I get it. I get it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So
0: I'd like to start off by giving the listeners an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. Um, And I understand that you were born and raised in Miami, is that correct?
2: That's correct.
0: Born and raised in the
2: county of Dade. Nice. (laughs) So
0: can you talk a little bit about your experience and what it was like growing up there and how that inspired you to pursue a career in conservation?
2: Absolutely. So growing up in Miami, it was very interesting, uh, a very interesting childhood because Miami, a lot of people forget, is a very young city. Most of of our parents, for people who are in their mid to, you know, late 30s, who were born and raised in Miami, most of our parents were all transplants from elsewhere, whether it was somewhere else in the U.S. or around the world. We're a very international um, place where, you know, we've got so many cultures coming together. But yet, there isn't a true fusion of all those cultures yet. It's getting there, but there's still a lot of work to be done and how such a diverse community can can unite and be and and I have more of a, a collective identity as a community. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, I mean, I just loved the fact that, you know, my background is my family's from Jamaica and and the islands and so that was a huge part of my upbringing and how I, you know, led my life and how I had a connection to the ocean and and respect for my elders. Like these were all really important um values that were instilled in me from a very young age. But I love seeing how the city had, has evolved and changed. And up until the last 10 years or so, we've seen this massive expansion where the art scene has taken over our city and people are becoming more creative and more open to new ideas. And so that for me is super, super exciting. Um, but I was very blessed to have parents that took me to the beach a lot. And I think that's one of the major gems of being in Miami-Dade County is that you have access to this incredibly beautiful uh, shoreline that is welcoming and warm and turquoise and blue. And, you know, people travel from all over the world just to get a glimpse of it. So I, I felt very, very privileged to grow up in Miami.
0: And that is definitely one of the, the many reasons why I was really excited to welcome you to the show today is because I, as much as I have traveled, have never been to Miami, which we definitely will need to change that. But I'm really excited to hear your perspectives and, um, learn a little bit more about it outside of what you might see in like the mainstream pop culture, um, side of, of what Miami is portrayed to be.
2: Yeah. I mean, you get the typical, the you know, stereotype of going to Miami beach, hanging out on ocean drive and all that, which is all good and so much fun, but there is a lot more to Miami than just Miami beach. Um, like I mentioned before, the art scene is really on fire right now. We have a brand new arts district called Wynwood. There's also the design district, which is like super fancy, you know, like designer stores, but still very much an art flow. And I just love seeing that all these artists, local artists are coming out of the woodworks to be a part of this this area and to contribute and to paint all the murals that are all over these walls and the cafes and galleries and stores. I mean, this is really awesome. And again, this has only happened, this happened within the last 10 or 12 years. Um, so that for me is super exciting. But the other part of it is once you head West from Miami, you know, you're headed directly out to the the Florida Everglades, which is a, is a global treasure, right. And such a unique ecosystem. And um, as a kid in high school, I, Went on several field trips out to the Everglades, explored Big Cypress National Preserve, and like actually camped in the Everglades um, with my classmates. And those experiences really did transform my life. I had a wonderful mentor named Ted Davis, who ran this specialty marine science magnet program at my high school. And we had a chance to go out on these weekend camping trips uh, with a program called the Watershed Program. And we followed the actual Florida watershed from Lake Okeechobee all the way down to Florida Bay to see how this unique water system uh, and water cycle flowed through our state. And that gave me a, a real sense of appreciation for not only nature, but just the unique place that I could call my own as a Floridian. And I also think that
0: plays to the importance of people having the opportunity to get out and experience the ocean, the coasts, lakes and rivers, what have you firsthand in order to develop their own understanding and appreciation and connection um, with these natural places, because they can be so impactful and so formative um, to who we are as people, what we value. And then, I mean, in the case of you and me, you know, the career path that we have now embarked on.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's especially in the earlier years between like, that K through 12 age range, you, you have to get kids outside. You got to get them connected, especially living in the digital age that we're in now. Like it's so easy to, to not do it because you're just, you have all these tools and and technology that can distract you, but like you have to have balance and you have to get outside.
0: Absolutely. And, um, you know, circling back to how this beautiful art scene is, is, you know, exploding down there in, in Miami and taking off and, Pairing that with the ocean being right there, um, you know, those are two unbelievably inspiring things. So I'm interested to hear a little bit more about what inspires you about the ocean. And then I'll even take it a step further with um, what is it that drives you to wake up every day and dedicate your time to ocean conservation and science communication?
2: Hmm. Well, the ocean has inspired me since I was five or six years old. And I'm sure as a baby, it also impacted me. I just can't, you know, actively recall those memories. Uh, As you know, we don't remember those things as little ones, but my parents, again, took me to the beach all the time. And from before I could even walk, I was on the sand and touching the water. And um, I think the first distinct memory that I have of being at the beach, being inspired at the ocean um, was with my dad. We were we were on Miami Beach and we found a little school of minnows swimming in the in the, the the current and we had a bucket. And so my dad and I managed to, you know, have put a few inside the bucket so I could look at them up close. Of course, we released them right away afterward, but it was just so awe-inspiring to see these little fish just like living their lives. And we're out here, you know, in this big, vast ocean. And so for me, the moments like that really um, just inspire me and I go back to them all the time when I'm thinking about and why I'm doing what I'm doing because trust and believe that my journey has not been easy. There have been a lot of challenges, a lot of obstacles, and most of it being mental, you know, staying Mm -hmm. tenacious and like not giving up. and, And even when people don't believe in what you're doing or think that it's important, it's like, I have to, I have to anchor myself in those moments
0: absolutely. And it's, it becomes almost those moments almost become those like, like driving passion that's inside of you. You know, you go back to revisit those formative memories that you have and those first memories that you have that mean so much to you. And now they're so deeply ingrained in who you are and what you care about that even if you do come up against the numerous hurdles that you're going to find that you have to climb and get over in your life, um, that's that little, like, voice inside of you that keeps you going. Um, So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, And so here's another question that I always love asking my guests because we get such a wide range of different responses because everybody's connection to nature is so unique in their own experience. Um, So I know that we've been talking about Miami a lot. Um, But when you envision the coast, like in your mind's eye, what is that shoreline that pops up in your head? Like, what does that look like? Is it a specific beach? Is it a specific place? And what does it mean to you?
2: Hmm. When a shoreline comes up in my mind's eye, I would definitely see uh, Key Biscayne, which is a part of Miami. But it's a place where I spent 10 years serving as a naturalist at the local nature center center. Named after Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, it's called the Biscayne Nature Center, and uh, worked with thousands of kids from around Miami, Miami and Broward, and South Florida in general, taking them out into the seagrass beds, and exploring the mangrove forests, and then also just having fun in the water. And it, like those those moments, those memories are so great to me because I got to see and relive that 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 moment of awe and wonder every day that I worked there. Because I would take new new babies, new kids out there to explore it, and wow, it was it was so cool. So whenever I think of a shoreline, I always think of that place where I'm standing right on the edge of the the, the sand dunes with the sea oats blowing in the wind, and I look over my shoulder and I see uh, the edge of a mangrove forest and these red mangrove prop roots just reaching out into the ocean, and and the, the speckled green and blue colors in the water because of the seagrass beds and then of course the expansive horizon and that's that's my shoreline.
0: I feel I I closed my eyes while you were describing that it was like almost like I was part of a guided meditation that was
2: beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) That's the voice when you come to Miami. (laughs) Yeah (laughs) Um, so so far in your
0: career um, you've been able to travel to some pretty amazing places and have some really great opportunities to get out on the water and outside. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any, like, most memorable moments um, from being out on the ocean or being, you know, I, I use scuba dive, too, so being in the ocean uh, will we'll include that as well.
2: Mm. So I think the first really memorable moment that was like, whoa, well, like the ocean was in my face was when I was 17, uh, the same mentor that I mentioned earlier, Ted Davis, along with his, um, colleague, uh, Ms. Deborah Hickson, she was the co-lead on this magnet program that we, uh, that I was a part of in high school. We ended up going to South Africa when I was 17, my senior year, just after graduation, we managed to find funding and send about eight students out to, um, to Simonstown, South Africa, to work with a scientist by the name of Neil Hammerschlag, who is now a renowned shark scientist at University of Miami Rosenstiel School of Marine and Atmospheric Science, and um, at that time he was just a master student doing his master's thesis uh, about the predation patterns of great white sharks in False Bay, South Africa, and so we had worked with him earlier in uh, that year to help produce GIS maps uh digital maps for his data and i mean with the funding that we were able to receive we we got to travel to south africa and see these sharks up close and it was that was the major pivot point for me where i got bit officially by the travel bug and knew that you know i needed to share these experiences with the world in whatever way i could and like how incredibly in awe i was of Just white sharks. Like, they're just the coolest. uh, It was so amazing. Yeah. Amazing. 15 days working out there on the boat, and we'd go out every day, help collect, you know, writing on data on the data sheets, and just seeing science in action was really awesome. And so that was a huge point for me. And since then, it's been my uh, prerogative to find whatever opportunity I can to get out and do things like that, whether it's citizen science um, or, you know, just just exploring and going underwater and like diving scuba diving is definitely one of my passions. If I could go scuba diving every day, I would.
0: So I also think it might be helpful for listeners to hear you walk, uh, walk us through your career path and touch on what some of the major turning points or influential moments were because a number of our listeners are young professionals. And I really like to demonstrate that no one person really ever follows The same exact path. Um, And even if we end up working in a similar space now, so many of us took these zigzagging routes and sometimes overlapping, sometimes they're not all to get to where we are today.
2: Oh, yeah, the the path is always curved like a, a winding river. And that's a lesson that I've definitely had to learn. Uh, throughout my 20s and so when I finished my degree at the University of Miami in marine science and biology up until that point I had been taught or understood that you know okay well I want to be a marine biologist you know because I want to study life in the ocean and so that made sense to me until uh, my senior year of college and I realized and I looked around and I was like wait a second I'm one of the only women of color in my program number one which was kind of mind-boggling for me and then number two When I spoke to people in my community and my family and my friends, like people that I interacted with on a day to day basis, the lack of knowledge that they had about the ocean was just astounding. And the fact that we lived in Miami and we were right there and they they had no clue about what was going on on our shoreline, in our wetlands and in the ocean. And so that really inspired me to think, well, how can I help get information to these specific People, Right. Not just not just academia, not just the Mm. years. And so that idea of like becoming a communicator, somebody who could convey interesting science information and make it fun and interesting and, and just exciting. And I immediately thought of Bill Nye, the science guy who was one of my childhood heroes who I would watch every day after school. And I was like, man, if I could do something like him, that would I think that would be great. And so as that seed was planted. I graduated, didn't really have a specific plan, wasn't ready to go back to graduate school. I just didn't feel like it was time because I had worked in grad school all four years of undergrad. So I got, a, I got a front row seat to see what life was like for a master's or PhD student. And I just wasn't ready at that moment. But lo and behold, I entered a contest with Roxy, the surf brand, and they ended up awarding me a $10,000 prize for submitting a video that I made with a friend who was a graduate student at the time, uh, Veronique. And just took my cousins out to the beach and talked about plastics in the ocean and why we need to take care of it, and you know, and this idea sparked this, the idea for Big Blue and you, my nonprofit, but which is what I created from that $10,000 prize. But at the same time, the same video that I submitted was seen by a guy named Rob Nelson, who had just started a company called Untamed Science, making science videos for textbooks. So he reached out to me via YouTube. It was my one and only first one and only YouTube video. And he said, Hey, we have an idea. You might be a great fit for this. Would you interview, would you, uh, you know, uh, audition for this? And I did, and I got the position and I worked with them for three years making videos for Pearson publishing, which a lot of those uh, videos are still being seen by students around the country today.
0: Which I, you know, I think that that is so important to note, well, a couple of things when I was listening is how you noted that you weren't ready for grad school um, and someone that, that has been through a grad school program, I think that that is worth um, you know, touching on just a little bit before we continue, um, that grad school is so intensive, and especially if you take it further into a PhD program. Um, and there can be there are some really amazing programs out there um but for anybody that's thinking about going into um grad school to either to get your masters or a higher degree um you're going to be eating sleeping and breathing all of that uh for a number of years and uh just making note of are you truly passionate about it um i i loved my program i went to virginia tech got my executive masters in natural resources um, but it was it was a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of energy um but then, also, your passion comes through with you noticed things around you, so you were already pulling out gaps that you saw in your community and within um you know your social circles about you know, what is this disconnect or how can I be a positive influence on those around me in my own community? And, um, you started taking those steps to get there. Um, and you know, whether you knew that it would lead you to where you are today or not. Um, I think that is a really important piece of advice for people listening to realize that, um, you know, if you have this spark inside of you and this passion, um, but the end goal not, is not necessarily clear. Just, you know, put your head down, start working, you know, start putting yourself out there by applying to either scholarships or jobs. Um, and doors will hopefully open, um, for you. So I, I think that is an amazing path that you've been on, uh, so far. Um, and so now you have, been able to travel all over the place, which I think is, is so beautiful. Um, and I love following along. We'll get to a little bit of Danny's social media expertise, um, in a bit where you'll have an opportunity to learn how you can follow along with her, um, adventures. But, um, I am curious to know how has your experience with traveling, And learning about different cultures and immersing yourself in all of these different communities impacted your perspective on the world and on ocean health and conservation.
2: Mm, That's a great question. But if I could touch back really quickly on what you said about grad school, I 100% agree. And like, I have yet to go to grad school, I would love to go to grad school, but I see it as very much um, just a, a, a... a time of my life where I know I want to be settled in one place. That's when I want to do and pursue graduate school uh, because I think the world, you know, it's awesome to have such an expertise and knowledge and to have that foundation. It's just, it's a privilege to have that kind of, you know, opportunity to, to pursue a higher level degree. That's nice. um, yeah. And I definitely encourage people who are very much interested in research and, and getting to the nitty gritty of science to do their, their grad degree. It's very important. But for my path, it was, I'm very grateful that I was able to recognize that with the set of talents and gifts that I already knew I had within me, how to apply it and learning how to just like make this puzzle work. That was the most logical decision for me at that moment in time. But we need more people to also be in the the bridge, right? So like in between academia, heavy science and research, we need people who can translate. And that's, that was what became very evident to me that you know, having a basic foundation of science knowledge is is great. And then building off of that in communication is key because yeah, we're going to be able to bridge between general public and science community.
0: It's a crucial role. And I think one that is continuing to grow and we need more minds and passionate people in that space, connecting academia to, um, you know, folks that are curious about the natural world and, um, maybe, you know, aren't, I feel like um you know maybe aren't as well versed in conservation as folks that we interact with frequently um in our own community with the conservation community.
2: Yeah, definitely I mean and I consider myself a lifelong learner so I no way shape or form know um you know a lot of a majority of information about marine conservation. Like there's so much and I just try to stay as open as possible to learn from the best, to learn from the experts, and then see how I can, you know, box it and gift it up in a way that people will want to listen and hear more about it. So that's that's really the, the core of my my career and job. Yes, so
0: much to learn, and there's so much that we still don't even know about the ocean, which is so exciting for the lifelong learners among us because there yeah, is absolutely. ample opportunity um, for us to continue learning and continue to have opportunities to communicate um, all of that information and all the wonders about the ocean to everybody.
2: Yeah. And I, I attribute my openness and willingness to learn on, because of travel, like traveling around the world has opened my eyes to so many things, so many ways to, to perceive life itself. And, you know, how people experience the ocean around the world is very different uh, than we Americans. It's it's interesting and how people use the ocean and how they depend on the ocean. But at the end of the day, what it makes, what makes, what it makes me realize is that of course it's one ocean and it connects every single human being on this planet, no matter how you use it and how you interact with the ocean.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I have traveled also quite a bit, but not nearly as much as you. Um, and I agree 100% with everything that you just said about, um, the ocean connecting all of us and, you know, we're all using it in different ways, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's our, our life source. Um, so it's our responsibility to take care of it however we can, um, and however we're able to, um, also tagging on to the subject of travel. And this is something that I definitely struggle with at times, um, how do you stay organized and practice self-care and maintain a routine with your busy travel schedule? Because as important as taking care of the planet is, um, you know, taking care of yourself so you're able to be 100% and, um, you know, performing wherever you're going um, at a, a high level is key. But, you know, sometimes that can fall to the wayside a little bit when uh, you're traveling and you know, switching time zones and in airplanes all the time and airports?
2: Oh, my gosh. Well, all I can <laughs> say is <laughs> I'm so glad to be alive at this moment in time where we have access to <laughs> smartphones and laptops and all of that, you know, where things are getting smaller and more compact and, and and travel friendly. And so that's been a huge, huge tool uh, for me in staying organized. I But it's a struggle for sure. The days that I get confused, I've, you know, sometimes I, I have had to learn how to stop and just take a, a, a look at everything at where it is, and then continually reorganize my life. So it's not like I have a, I, I'm, I know for the next few years, I'm never going to have a set schedule. There's really no routine in my lifestyle. Um, so that is the first step, I think, is to let go of this conceived notion that you have to have a routine or that's the only way that you're going to be successful. Cause it's not true. Like I have a lot of friends who are in the same space where they're traveling constantly and you just have to learn how to work on the road and how to prioritize. And so again, that's an evolving, uh, skill set that I continually am working on. But as far as self care, yeah, I've definitely crashed and burned, made myself sick before, just from running and not stopping. So what helps me is, a a you know, a semi-regular yoga practice. Meditating is really important to me. And then, of course, getting in the ocean. Getting in the ocean for me is just always the reset button. When I jump in, I'm clear-minded. I come out and boom, re-energized. Uh, when I don't have access to that, then I go for my, um, you know, other form of sweat which or salt water, which is sweat and working out. Like that, that's something that you can do wherever you are to just get your heart rate up. And that always uh, helps me out a lot.
0: Yes. And I, I also feel like that. I, so I practice yoga as well and meditate and try to get to the ocean as much as possible because I feel like it's that constant reminder and checking in with, um, you know, going straight to the source. So going straight to the source of your inspiration at the coast um, and then going straight to the source of your own internal um, motivations and thoughts, and um, taking that time on the mat or at the gym um, to, you know, reflect and check in and make sure that you're you're staying healthy and are in a place where you can continue to um, push and work and be inspired. I so I love that that response. Um, so now I, I'd like to pivot a little bit to chat about. Big Blue and You, and See Youth Rise Up, because I think that they are really inspiring groups and groups that our listeners potentially uh, have an interest in and an opportunity to engage with. Um, So can you walk us through a little bit of their origin stories?
2: Mm -hmm. So I touched on it a little bit earlier, but the, the Roxy competition that I entered, which happened only once and they haven't done it ever since, but it was it was a really inspiring competition, just reaching out to girls around the country to talk about what they want to do and what they're passionate about. And so that's where Big Blue and You began. Once I was awarded that prize money, I wanted to do something that would leave a legacy that would serve my community um, beyond me, beyond my years, you know, establish something that would last. And so that's where the idea came from, Big Blue and You. And the name Big Blue and You is really looking at the planet as Big Blue and always bringing it back to you as an individual that no matter how large our planet is, no matter how small you might feel, you always have a role in helping and 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 also connecting with our planet. So that's where the name came from. And then Seeds Rise Up uh, came about three years ago when I um, connected with Bill Mott, who is the executive director of the Ocean Project based out of uh, Providence, Rhode Island. And he was interested in, Creating a program that would be engaging teenagers and young people in ocean advocacy, specifically with you know legislation and how to understand what's going on in our government and what choices they're making. And so, along with Bill, we we linked with Sean Russell, who's the founder of the Youth Ocean Conservation Summit in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, we all came together because we've all heard of each other, and we were like, "Yes, we want to do this." And so the After many iterations, the project became uh, an initiative between three organizations where we took uh, six to seven students, young people, teenagers and early 20s college students to Washington, D.C. to be a part of World Oceans Day Week and all the events surrounding that and getting them involved with meetings on Capitol Hill to speak to our legislators and really just getting a hands-on experience, very intense, almost boot camp style experience with other young ocean leaders to inspire each other, to learn from each other, but also to get a grasp on what's happening for our oceans legislatively.
0: And what a cool experience for those young folks that you brought to the Hill and to DC with you um, to have. And as you're talking, it reminded me like similar to, you know, through my day job with the Healthy Oceans Coalition, we try to connect people, but it's more so like adults and um, other like nonprofit groups to what's happening in the policy world. Um, but I, I just admire the work that you're doing with younger people because I feel like their stories connect so well with decision makers and it's, these experiences are so important and formative, um, For them to have individually in terms of, you know, later in life, if they're going through and trying to figure out what they're doing with their career, um, you know, igniting that passion within them and showing them like, hey, you have this power and you can go up onto the hill and you can talk to these people that we vote um, into office and make change and make a difference.
2: Oh, my gosh. Yes. And that's exactly at the bare minimum. That is the one thing we want them to take away from that experience is knowing that you have, you have a voice and you have power. And so it's been an honor and a privilege to work with young people that we have. It's been three years, uh, three, three individual programs that we've run and the, all of the, the, the leaders that we've worked with so far have been super successful in their local communities and have continued to follow a path toward, um, just, ocean leadership. And it just, it was a real, real awakening, but I definitely see myself in them. And I'm so happy that I can pay it forward and like help provide an opportunity like this for the next generation. I'm
0: glad that people like you exist to do just that. I I think it's unbelievably important work. Um, so then also understanding that, um, big blue and you is pairing the arts with ocean conservation. Um, what kinds of projects have the Big Blue and You family worked on or are you currently working on um, and are any of them like the most memorable ones to you?
2: Well, yeah, we've, um, we've worked on several different types of projects through the last 10 years. In fact, 2018 was our 10 year anniversary. Woo-woo. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Huge, huge milestone. But um, we, we've tried a lot of different things. So It's been very hit trial and error. But what we've come to realize is that our niche is really serving um, through a specific event called Artsy. So, again, another play on words. So it's A-R-T-S-E-A. And it's just a day to celebrate the ocean and to bring together people, uh, young people, along with their parents and their families to come outside to get to the beach and then to work with artists and local scientists who are involved in marine conservation um, to learn about what's going on in in our community. So we started it in Miami this year 2018 marked our 7th Artsy Festival. We served nearly uh, 2000 people who came through throughout the day to experience the event. And it's just a fun day. Like I absolutely love the event itself. It takes a lot of work, a lot of moving parts because we had nearly 40 vendors uh in total at the event. And 20 of those were science and art booths. So each booth uh, young people can come up, they get a passport when they arrive, and they get to go to each booth and do the hands-on ex- uh, experiment or art project with that person hosting the the booth. And it's just really awesome because they get to just pick and choose. They have com- complete autonomy when they arrive. There's also kayaking, uh, paddle boarding, face painting, drumming. We had the Miami Children's Museum perform a theater play on stage this year about climate change. And uh, there was also a, a Bahamian junk canoe band that came out. So there are all these elements of the event that just, again, makes it very celebratory because I want to make sure that it's fun, but they're also getting these real substantial nuggets of information uh, to connect with the ocean.
0: And, and how, um, So is this a big volunteer event for Big Blue and you to to put on this? I imagine you would need a a lot of people helping out. As you mentioned, it is a lot of work and there are a lot of moving parts.
2: Oh my gosh, 100%. I mean, when the idea started, it was my mom and I. So one thing I didn't mention earlier is that my mom is my partner in the Big Blue and you. We started it together. We co-founded it together because we both had a passion for the planet and for children and wanted to, again, create something that would last. And so my mom and I have pulled on all of our friends and lots of people that we know in our circle who have worked with us through the years, but also another like 50 to 100 volunteers every event who come out from high schools and colleges and who make the event possible. And so, you know, through a series of really cool mentors that have provided resources and, and then now in the recent years, you know, lots of sponsors, we've been able to make this event work and make it happen for free. And also cover transportation costs for a lot of the young people that arrive, because sometimes transportation in South Florida can be a bit of a barrier for people to get around because our public transportation system is not that great. So we send a bus to them to pick them up and to bring them out to the ocean. And so um, we yeah, I'm so grateful for all the people who have helped us throughout the years and given their time and their energy. And it's it's been a beautiful thing.
0: That's absolutely amazing. And what an incredible opportunity to connect not only with your community and then connect your community to the ocean and to art, but then also to have this connection point with your mom and family. I um, I think it, that's such a special event that you guys have created. Um, and maybe that'll be my first time down in Miami is helping you guys volunteer for one of these. Let me know if you ever need an extra person. I am more than happy to participate.
2: Um would love so, that. Our yes. next, event, our next one, big one is 2020. We're going to be doing uh, artsy pop-ups this year. So we're going to, we're aiming, we're endeavoring to take the event to other cities. We're ready to kind of expand. And so we're looking for other opportunities. Either it's an already existing event to kind of tag along with in a different city and provide that programming. And then 2020, yep, it's going to be the big one. So market calendar, March, 2020. Marking it down
0: and consider me as a point of contact for a Boston event. I am, I would love to help out. That would be great. (laughs) Yeah. And so I I would love to hear um, your thoughts on, you know, just how important creative expression is and in connecting people and educating people about ocean conservation. Um, Because, you know, you see this pairing of art and the pairing with ocean conservation um, and sort of getting people to connect with the source and um, stewardship and learning about it in, in different ways, I think, is really, really creative.
2: Definitely. Uh, artists have always been the tip of the spear when it comes to societal changes. So throughout human history, we know that the, the artists are the ones who are able to communicate a message for people to think differently, think outside of the box um, and to to just communicate about issues that are that can be hard to verbalize sometimes. So that's why I've always put so much credence on creative expression. And I think inherently as humans, we are creators, no matter what it is that you create, we are creating constantly. So being able to be free enough to express yourself through your creation is, um, is a gift. And so for me, connecting people who do that on the regular through whatever form of art that they choose And and connecting it to a message and a mission and a purpose, I think is one of the most powerful things that, you know, that can be done. And so with the urgency of what's going on in the ocean and how much, you know, um, how much destruction and damage humans have already done to the ocean, I still feel um, inspired because I know that we just need to get the message out there. We need people to connect. But then on the flip side, that the ocean is resilient. And if we can, we can just speed up the process by using artists as our main messengers. Absolutely, and I, you know, I feel like
0: I can relate to that sentiment as well because even the whole creation of this podcast network that we have going on now with the American Shoreline Podcast Network, that came out of a conversation that um, I had with Tyler Buckingham, who, um, you know, was producing this show and is a co-founder of the network and has his own shows on the network. Um, We met at a conference a couple years, maybe a year ago now, and we're having a conversation about, you know, creativity and creative expression and pairing that with conservation. And that sort of planted the seed that has now turned into this whole network because we realized that, you know, podcasts are a really big thing right now um, and it may be an opportunity for us to reach a wider audience with the message of ocean conservation and uh, you know all the different uses uses that we rely on the, the ocean for. Um, so you know definitely there's a lot to be said for trying to remain inspired and and create however that whatever that means to you. Um, you know if you're passionate, just get out there and start creating, and you never know what it'll turn into. Um, Yeah. Um, So I want to give you an opportunity with Big Blue and you and See Youth Rise Up to plug um, any sort of ways that listeners can get involved because I'm sure that there are a bunch of people sitting there listening right now that um, would like to know more and potentially volunteer or get involved.
2: Sure. So Big Blue and You, I mean, we're in a constant, we're nonprofit 501c3. So we're in a constant, you know, schedule of raising money and receiving donations. So we're always open to donations. You can simply go to bigblueandyou.org and donate there. Uh, Those, you know, those funds will go toward administration as well as uh, the execution of the Artsy Festivals. Um, We're a small team. We have a working board of directors and we have an executive director. And so that's that's, that's our group. And then we have everything else is based on volunteer volunteers working with us. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. We have a new initiative, a new partnership with, a uh, a startup fashion brand called round plus square and they're New York based, uh, the founder, Henriette Erst, she's an amazing woman who has an, an extremely great vision of what the fashion industry can do to help, um, So just to help resolve all the issues that have been going on, most people don't know that the fashion industry is the second most polluting industry, second to oil from start to finish. I didn't even know that. That's that's huge. Yeah. There's a great documentary you should check out called True Cost on Amazon Prime. Excellent. (laughs) I know what I'm doing with my Friday evening. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, she's, she's worked on, I mean, from just every step of the process from the cotton itself, it's organic 100% 100% all the way through the manufacturing. She's hired women who are empowered in, in Turkey who obviously no sweatshops. They all have insurance. Like it's an amazing program. And then it also has a specialty certification called GOTS, which is a European standard that ensures that all of these things are being met. So she's received all of that. And so we're doing a collaborative tea. Uh, it says I woman power now and every shirt, or t-shirt that's, uh, that's purchased 10% of that will go to big blue and you. So you can, you can go ahead and grab one of those teas and, uh, and give it to one of your favorite women. And then you'll also be supporting big blue and you at the same time. That's great. Um, so now I'd like to pivot a little bit to,
0: to science communication, because that's something that you are amazing at. And, um, I'm curious to know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you face when communicating about science and climate to others?
2: Hmm. Some of the biggest challenges, I think as of recently, it's been, you know, encountering folks who are still climate change deniers. Mm -hmm. That's always uh, baffling to me. But honestly, I've learned to meet people where they are. And a lot of times, conservation folks tend to take this kind of righteous um, perspective, and we can't do that. We have a lot of people out there that are just ignorant, that just don't know. They don't know what's going on. They don't understand it. So how can we figure out how to explain it a little better so that it makes sense? And so we can't sit here and judge and wonder why. We just got to figure out how to to get right next to them and, and say, hey, why do you see it like this? Here's how I see it. This is the facts that are behind it. Boom, boom, boom. But then also living by example, I think is really important. So science communication, sure. Like my most recent job was hosting exploration, nature knows best, which is a nationally syndicated television show on Fox network, which is like a Saturday morning, um, 30 minute science program. And I love that because I was literally interviewing scientists and communicating the science that they were you know, uh, doing. So that was a very direct way to do it. But also science communication includes your lifestyle and how you uh, want to talk and how you incorporate science into your own life. So I do that through my different media, social media channels and um, different ways, just trying to get really creative to talk to people and, again, meet them where they are. Yeah, and I, I, uh,
0: I think that the whole living by example thing I found interesting in terms of my own life and the people that, you know, my family and friends uh, that maybe are not so deeply entrenched in the world of conservation as I am, um, watching their progress over the years as I make progress has been super fascinating to see, you know, just a base level of understanding like what you can recycle or compost and, you know, now with plastics and straws. And, um, I, I think that is somewhere where I get the greatest joy is, um, seeing that behavior change through people that are interacting, um, with me, um, and, you know, seeing that living example of, of, uh, a way to make it easy to be a better steward of the planet, um, so then I also, um, want to touch, I know you mentioned social media, um, and because, so for those of you that are listening, uh, and maybe new to meeting Danny, um, she has grown a really impressive following on social media platforms. And I think that, uh, the way that she uses social media as a tool to reach new audiences, um, because circling back, um, around to more of the science communication side of our conversation, um, I think another thing that we do in the conservation community sometimes is just preaching to the choir. Um, we surround, we can surround ourselves with people that are like us and agree with our messages, um, um, but that's not really reaching out to new groups. So Danny has really utilized social media as this incredible tool Um, to reach all different kinds of audiences and weave this message of sustainability and conservation um, into her posts. Um, And I think we could all learn a little bit from your experience. So do you have any words of advice or helpful tips um, for anybody that may be trying to grow awareness of their brand or um, push forward any sort of initiatives in terms of social media strategy?
2: Lots and lots of tips, and I feel like we could definitely go for hours talking about this stuff. Yes. But um, <laughs> one sidebar note is that I am I'm working on a you know an online course, to kind of just to lay some of this stuff out. So please, if you're listening and you're interested, stay tuned, stay connected with me via my website dannywashington.com, and then more updates will come as the year progresses. But uh, as far as using social media, I, it's been a very organic process for me. I stepped into it thinking that I could you know, again, share these messages in a very, um, science-y way and a little bit obscure. I think what I have learned is people connect people. And that's why social media is so powerful because we trust recommendations from our peers, from, you know, individuals that we feel connected to. And so using that basic principle in all of the platforms that I utilize, I think has really helped me a lot. And so I just try to share a little bit about my lifestyle and like that. I'm really, I'm human. Like every day I have struggles. I have this that I don't like this that I like. And, um, and then bringing people along with me on the journey. So because of my traveling, I've been able to go to some pretty cool locations and I do my best to share those experiences with people. So they, they feel like they're right alongside me. And that's the biggest feedback that I've received from some of my followers that they, they really do feel like that, that they're, with me on the trip, which is awesome. Um, but you know, again, storytelling is, is the foundation of who we are as humans. We want to hear stories all the time. So if you're starting a new, a new channel, a YouTube channel, or an Instagram account or Facebook page, always remember to stick with the story and tell it in a way that would make sense to your, like, I, I might the age that I aim for sometimes would be like a middle school student you know, to make it interesting and fun Um, because we're all like, I I believe we all have the kid in us, you know, the young person, the youthful spirit. And so when we're dealing with heavy topics, like so much of what we deal with in the conservation community, I think it's fun to just kind of flip the script a little bit and learn how to make it a little lighter, a little bit more digestible Mm -hmm. and interesting.
0: Um, Yeah. And I feel like you have really found this way to just, you know, you you're human and you're not trying to promote some sort of totally false lifestyle. You, you do bring your followers along on a journey, um, whether it's on your travels or whether there's you know some sort of headline, which these days it feels like there's always some sort of headline or um, something crazy happening. Um, you know, and you're just, you're real. Um, and I think people connect with that. And I think that there's a lot to be said for being open and honest and vulnerable with your following. You inspire just so many people, including myself, um, and we'd love to know who and what inspires you.
2: Hmm. Well, um, a lot of people inspire me. In fact, I I love following uh, specifically women. A lot of powerhouse women are, are, you know, bubbling up at the scene now. But originally, Dr. Sylvia Earle was one of my first inspirations uh, when I was in high school, and she still is. And she awarded me a really special honor last year at EarthX in Dallas, Texas, uh, for the 2018 Emerging Female Leader of the Year. And that was just a, one of the craziest moments ever for me because I, you know, I've just watched her career and seen how amazing she is. Receiving that from her was really something special. And so she's always going to be my, like, one of my number one inspirations. But I'm also inspired by people like Beyonce. Yara Shahidi.
0: yes, the Queen. Um, it's like Sylvia Earle is like the Queen, like her deepness, her deepness, Queen of the Ocean. And then you have Beyonce, who's just like Queen of all women.
2: <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, yeah, there there are really too many to to list out, but those would probably be my top top uh, inspirations. But I'm also inspired by people like um, Luisa Hoyos, who's the director of The Cove, and A recent, his most recent film that he directed is called Game Changers, about you know transitioning into a whole food plant based diet and this idea that he is such a, a master storyteller. Like he's won an Academy Award and like he's one of my friends and one of my mentors and I just I'm so inspired by people like him because again he's living out what he what he talks about. He's he's showing it. He's doing it and putting and giving it all he's got.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, just for listeners out there too, it's all about just finding those people that inspire you and, um, are walking the walk. Um, and you know, this whole conversation, I feel like a theme we've revisited is, um, living and being, you know, being an example, um, and having your actions reflect your values and your motivations and what you care about, um, So, you know, if you're looking for people to be inspired by and um, see as leadership, just, you know, they're all around you, whether they're famous or not, um, just wonderful people that are out there doing great things for the world. So surrounding yourself with them and following along with those people can be a great source of inspiration. Um, And also, congratulations to you on that award. And I feel like it's really well deserved. Um, You know, you are out there um inspiring so many people each and every day with the work that you're doing. Um so definitely hats off to you or fins off to you to make some stupid <laughs> ocean joke because I feel like
2: that's what I do. Um, <laughs> I think hilarious I'll take it. <laughs> um, so as
0: I mentioned before, we have a lot of young professionals that listen to the show. I think it would be helpful to hear what advice that you have and that you would give to yourself ten years ago.
2: Ooh, man, a lot, a lot of advice. But I think the main thing would be, hmm, it would just be to, to, just to relax in a way, you know, because I'm definitely a, I can definitely a workaholic. I try my best, but as I get older, I'm learning how to balance that more, right? So that I don't crash and burn and that I don't wear myself out. Um, but as a young 20-something, you're like fired up and it's just like, go, 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 go. But at the same time, you got to gotta prioritize self-care. You got to prioritize your life and making sure that you have the right balance of people and, and you know relationships and all those things that are important to our experience. Just make sure you have that and, and don't get so down in the dumps and overwhelmed by what's happening in the world around you, but learning how you can best serve the world through your gifts and talents.
0: Yeah. And, you know, just keep going and think about, you know, what are things that are within your control and what's, what are things you can't control? And how do you react to those things that you can't control? I think has been a huge one for me that I think I would have preferred to be a little more mindful of um, you know, back 10 years ago when I was starting my career. Um, yes. Yeah. And so before we wrap up, do you have any parting words for our, our listeners? Um, any additional things that you would like to plug any advice for people that may be not young professionals? Um, any other listeners?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I realized I forgot to mention Sea Youth Rise Up. If you want to support Sea Youth Rise Up, you just go to seayouthriseup.org and you can check out more information about that program. It's coming up in June. We'll be in D.C. again in, in June. So if you're in, in the D.C. area during World Oceans Week, which, you know, World Oceans Day is on June 8th, we'll be there. We'd love to connect with, you know, other ocean heroes out there. Um, but I think as a parting thought, I really feel like it's important that our community that our conservation community pays specific attention to inclusivity and making sure that every group and every person feels included in this conversation and as much as I care about the polar bears in Antarctica, like it's hard to convince somebody who's struggling day to day to survive to get the basics meant to think about a polar bear so how? can we use our resources and our creativity to engage people who who are a part of this whole, you know, um system and how we how we can help them understand their connection to the ocean, to their their connection to the planet in a in a in an interesting way. And that that to me is so important because as an African American woman in this country, with every you know, all the things that are happening you know, politically, and then also a lot of the racial tension, it's all coming to a head where we're realizing that, you know, these these differences that people have used to discriminate, discriminate against others, they're irrelevant. You know, it all boils down to you as an individual and what you're here to contribute. So our community needs to do a better job in focusing our energy and bringing everybody into the conversation. And that's what I'm looking forward to. Because once we do that, we will, we will solve a lot of issues and a lot of challenges that we're trying to figure out. So that's what I'm excited for in the next few years. I think it's going to be great. And we need every single voice, every different background to be a part of this story.
0: I agree with you 100% on that. And I couldn't have said it any better myself. I mean, this is a human issue and we're stronger together we're stronger when we're all reaching out to each other, working together, and learning from each other um, to overcome this challenge that we face um, in terms of climate change, in terms of inclusivity. Um, so, yes, thank you for that, Danny, and and thank you so much for joining me today. This conversation was just an absolute pleasure, um, I and mean, I always learn so much from you and have a great time when we chat. Um, But before we wrap up, um, just one more time, can we share um, how can people find Big Blue and you, See Youth Rise Up, and then you on uh, social media platforms? I know we gave a shout out to the website, um, but I want to make sure that in this social media driven world where everybody's on their computers and their cell phones that um, they have an opportunity to find you all that
2: way. Thank you so much, Jen. I mean, it's really an honor to be on here with you and thanks for the time. Um, I'm very appreciative of it. You can find me online at dannywashington.com and then all of my social, personal social platforms are all at danny, D-A-N-N-I, Washington. And then uh, I've got mostly links to all of these other projects on those pages as well. But again, it's bigblueandyou.org, C-U-S-E-A-C-YouthRiseUp.org and um, you'll, you'll get to explore from there. So thank you so much.
0: <laughs> thank you. And I would also like to take the time to thank the listeners. Um, so if you like what you heard today and want to hear more, definitely subscribe to the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts to get this and other outstanding shows by subject matter experts that are focused on our American shorelines. Um, and also be, able to find, uh, be sure to find us on social media um you can find us on twitter at coastal news 365 and on facebook at american shoreline podcast network and coastal news today um and this is important because for now these are the best places for you to interact with us and give us feedback on our
2: shows